Hey dads, are you looking to take your family life to the next level? One where you're in charge and free to set your own hours? You've come to the right place. Each and every week, we share the highs, lows, ups, and downs as we grow our businesses from zero to hero. Welcome to the Nights and Weekends Podcast with Craig Hewitt and Ken Wallace. Hey guys. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Keeping it real. Yeah. yeah we're going to do a mic check here because uh, my wife is here as well. Hello. Hello. I'm a little nervous. I've never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Your first podcast? Yes. E- ever. This is very exciting. Yes. I'm a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad we can all be here for your deflowering. I mean, I don't know. this just got awkward. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> okay, so Valerie is my wife. Valerie Wallace uh, meets Sherry Walling. Hello. Sherry and her husband Rob have a podcast called Zen Founder. Also on the line is Craig. Craig, you haven't met my wife before. I haven't. I recruit. I recruited my wife Amanda, so she's here too. Nice. Hey, Amanda. How's it going? Good. Maybe we should just let the wives do all the talking. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys later. I'm not sure that's in your best interest. Yeah, let's go get a beer, Craig. I, might. I, I did be. ask earlier what I was allowed to say and what I wasn't allowed to say because I have a tendency to uh, probably say things I'm not supposed to. <laughs> well, what I told her was our podcast is kind of like a reality show. So a lot of things get said that maybe other people won't say on their podcast. So pretty much ev- nothing's off limits with us, really. Um, I don't know if Craig agrees or not, but, uh, uh, no, I agree. That's a lot of trust you have in your, in your wives. I am cringing <laughs> so hard right now. <laughs> That's cause he hears me complain all the time. <laughs> yeah. Titan sphincter is going on right now on my side. So, well, no, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's important. Like if we're going to do this kind of conversation, then, you know, sugarcoating it and editing out all the real stuff kind of defeats the purpose so yeah i don't think anyone's here just to complain but talk about stuff that really is important and complicated and difficult maybe to get some help <laughs> help as our two-year-old says help me <laughs> <laughs> no i just feel like for um ken and i've been married for four years and i feel like the entire time he's been working on you know his entrepreneurial dream and I'm just like at the point where when does it end and I actually get a husband <laughs> on nights and weekends because um, he works a lot. So I think we need help finding balance and setting boundaries and uh, him being told he has to rest occasionally. <laughs> Sleep <laughs> is important. So I just I did watch your um was it a speech or session? You watched her attendee talk from uh, two years ago. Yeah, from 2013, and I thought it was really good, and I don't think Ken retained a lot of it because he doesn't practice some of the stuff. So I, I was hoping that you could help us maybe um, set some boundaries and you know help us kind of plan as to how to make our life balanced during this struggle of starting his own business because I... Um, I just feel like we need some help here. Was that directed at me? No, that was directed <laughs> at Sherry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no pressure. Um, yeah, no. This is this is bread and butter of the conversations that we have on Zenfunder around my house, around my job. So these are good conversations to have, and I think they're tricky conversations because 
everything I want to say is, is really a question. Like, and I think um, so much of what makes the bootstrapping process tolerable, especially in the early phases when there's like multiple demands, the demands of a full-time job, and then the nights and weekend demands is like really clear communication about what's most important. And so I think one of the questions is like, what do you most need? What do you most want from Ken during this time? And, you know, what can you flex on? Because it sounds like you're tired. I am. <laughs> I guess I I need, I need, I feel like I can never ask for his time because the response is usually, I have work to do, I have work to do, I have work to do. And so I feel like I never get a chance to get out of the house without a child. I never get a chance to get out of the house with my husband without a child. And, um, you know, I'm left with, four kids a lot of the time to my own devices on the weekend trying to keep them quiet or keep them occupied and I guess what's a realistic amount of time for us to you know how often should we have a date night how often should I be able to get out of the house without children um how often should he have to like stop working and spend time with the family and not feel guilty about it how often do you need to go out of the house by yourself without children? Well, I I can't remember the last time. Well, <laughs> Unless did, it's a meeting for church. We did go to Cancun together. Okay, that was like three months ago. Okay. So we haven't had a date night, I don't think, since then. Is that true? Could that? I that think possible? it is true. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I do think so. Um, I don't recall getting a babysitter in a long time. You know, and it, it might be as something as stupid as wanting to go get my eyebrows waxed, but I don't want to That's not stupid. I don't want to take a two-year-old with me. <laughs> That's like I'll a community service. <laughs> Everyone appreciates you having well-groomed eyebrows. Like, this is where I'm struggling right now. Like, I just, you know, sometimes you just want to go to Target and walk around by yourself without children. And I need to know that on such and such a night... I get to do that or I get to go out for a cup of coffee with a friend or meet up with for a drink or just not be mom or wife. You know, I do work part time, so I have that, but I don't consider that, you know, free time. It sounds like you might need a weekly babysitter or a, a night that you know is predictably yours or, a, you know, a two hour block in a, in a morning that's predictably yours. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe just scheduling it and knowing that that's coming will help with the um, like, when is it going to end aspect because I get a little reprieve periodically. And I think, I mean, Ken is deciding to do this and, and deciding to do this for the benefit of your whole family, I'm assuming, you know, there's an, an end in sight that, that is for all of you. But I think it's also really hard for the partner or the spouse if they're also asked to kind of put their own dreams and needs on hold indefinitely. And I would I would say that that probably won't work very long for for you to feel like your priority is is predominantly in caring for kids and then secondarily for kind of supporting Ken. There's probably something that that you need in your life that's that's your thing, your thing you're learning, your thing you love, you know, your ability to practice yoga, run a marathon or, you know, whatever. And that that's part of the game plan too for the business. That's part of making the bootstrapping phase really sustainable is making sure that you're also growing and thriving and well 
and not not running on empty. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like any activity I have, like I belong to our mops group at church, but we have childcare. So, you know, I don't have to. I feel like anything I do, I have to make sure that there's childcare available because Ken will be working. So, um, I just, I think, yeah, I think we need a date night and I think we need time for, and I think Ken needs to get out of the house too. (laughs) This isn't just me thinking I need to get out of the house. I think he needs to get out of the house. What do you think, Ken? First (laughs) of all. Do you need to get out of the house, Ken? (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I totally agree with that. I'll say to her, you know, every once in a while, it's like, you know, I'm just stir crazy. I need to get in the car and I just need to go to Starbucks (laughs) for, and get a coffee, even though I, you know, we have coffee here. I just need to get out of the house once in a while. So I understand that. I get that. But just to, you know, level set, uh, Amanda and Sherry, how often do you guys wax your eyebrows? <laughs> how, how often do you guys take these? <laughs> well, I one thing that I really enjoy that I do almost every night is after the kids go to bed, uh, I go for a run or a bike ride. And I actually just walked in the door. Um, and that's, I did that during nap time today. Yeah. So we have two preschoolers, so I, you know, I can, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but I have it, you know, pretty much every night. And it's, you know, even if I don't leave the house until, you know, nine 30, it, I, at least I know that I'm going to have, you know, a half hour or whatever. And we're fortunate. We live, um, on a really pretty lake. So I, we could just go out there and just sit and watch the water or watch people going by or whatever. It's it's kind of like a meditative thing, I guess. But it's yeah, and I it's, think it's my time that I go out and am in nature or physically active or whatever I need at that time. Yeah, and we do. I mean, try. We talk a lot about balance, and you know, Ken and I are in the same boat, both with you know day jobs and trying to start something up on the side, and we both work a lot nights and weekends but um you know Amanda and I definitely have like a day or two where I don't work at night and I think for me like I know those days are coming and you know one of them is on the weekend usually and one of them's during the week so that we we kind of know that's coming for me from a business perspective I know I got to really work hard the four or five days that I can put in extra time um because we try to you know, kind of set some of that time aside. Um, and, and the times when Amanda goes, you know, after the kids go to bed for a run or walk uh, or bike ride is my time to hammer out whatever 30, 60 minutes of work um, to get some things done. So, I mean, it's really hard to, you know, I, I say, and I think Ken can probably relate and, and Sherry, I'm sure Rob, Rob does too, is that these, well, and you too, cause you work too, but I mean, these conflicting priorities, um, you can't, have a hundred percent time and focus and energy towards any of them or the rest will suffer. And I think that's where that concept of balance is sometimes not helpful because I think balance implies that everything is kind of at homeostasis and that your relationships and yourself and your work are all kind of well at the same time. And I, I think in our life, at least like it goes up and down and there may be a week where I'm working really hard and sort of kicking ass at work, but I haven't spent a lot of time with the kids and that's where I need to kind of overcompensate. So, you know, I think when we think about balance, like I at least can't think about it in a week or I have to have this sort of bigger perspective of how well are these different parts of my life 
and knowing that sometimes I'm going to emphasize one thing over another thing and one thing is going to suffer for a certain amount of time and then you have to kind of make the correction. But I think if like you're you know, your spouse is saying, hey, I'm not doing well. I need more. I need more of you. I need more time. I, you know, then that's that's that invitation for an overcorrection or for um, reorienting things so that it feels better to the people that you love and that you're spending your time with. And, you know, we have different rhythms in our life, as I, as I know everybody does. Something that Rob and I find really important just for our own individual mental health, of course, is taking a retreat or two a year. I go to yoga twice a week. And if I don't go to yoga, like everyone in my family can sort of feel the edginess creep in. We try to go on a date night once a month and treat that as a really nice date night, you know, really focused. Phones are off. We have the evening to ourselves. And I think that finding the different rhythms in, you know, in each family is really important. So that's why you kind of start with the question of like, what do you, what do you, what do you need? And what do you, what would feel better? I think there's much more conversing that has to happen on that subject. I agree that we we definitely need a date night more often. I have this um it's like an internal struggle with, you know, the 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 many pressures. I I I totally empathize with where she's coming from in that, you know, I can see it on her face the the you know, when the stress when the stress is building up and she just needs a break, you know. It's like when I'm screaming and running out the door. <laughs> I see, I see the fumes coming out of the back of the van as she's driving away. You know, within a few minutes, I'll get like a, a ping on my phone. There's, there's a new customer on the, on, in the business. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like all these, all, it's all these pressures. We're in a season in our life right now where we've, we've still got a child that's not in preschool or school. And, uh, and he's very needy. And he's very, he's at that, you know, he's, he's two and a half and he's very needy. And, uh, oh. Um, it's it's difficult. I know um, Val and I. We do take you know. Well, during I have to confess to our listeners that I list I watch The Bachelor with my wife on Monday nights last <laughs> week. And <laughs> but it's after the kids go to bed. And Val can tell you that I get really grumpy if at nine o'clock the kids aren't all in bed, so that she and I can have just that one thing. Right? If all I need during the week is that one thing, I, I understand how she could get edgy if she's not getting what she needs during the week too. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll work harder on that. And I think we just need to start scheduling things so that I can see the, like the light that this is going to be happening. And so I can look forward to it because sometimes, you know, he'll tell me he's going to work and then he won't work. And then like, we didn't really have anything planned or the night just goes to waste. And then, you know, I go to bed and he comes down and works. And that's another thing is we rarely go to bed at the same time. That's true. Very rare, which is frustrating at times. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice because I can fall asleep without any snoring. <laughs> what? You think I snore? I'm positive I snore. Not even, I can't even spin that lie. I snore. But sometimes it would be nice to have my husband in bed with me. You know what I'm saying? We know what you're saying. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> We rate the show PG thirteen, but we can. I think you. <laughs> I didn't mean to like hog the conversation, but I. Uh, those are my frustrations with this process, and I I do say to Ken, not all the time, but periodically, I'll be like, "When is the when is this going to be over? Like, when are we going to have a normal life?" 
like there is no answer and so that's kind of daunting too because I feel like our entire marriage has been this and I think when you when you do think of it as when will this end and it feels like it's so long that's when it is helpful to have those smaller benchmarks of happiness like next week we have a date night and next month we're going away for a weekend and we have a vacation in three months so having that sort of anticipating those good markers along the way I think can make the the long wait less daunting and and a little more fun but it does require some planning and you know advanced preparation I like to plan plan away so you and Rob you guys homeschool right correct we don't right now not right now did for a couple years yeah okay he really wanted to go to school geeky kid nothing wrong with that (laughs) Uh, was, did he want to go to school for the um, the social interaction, or was it some program that they had? Oh, I think he just wanted to get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he was. Um, I think he was ready for uh, like bigger environments and more people and more interaction. So he wanted to he wanted to roll with a crew of of other nine year olds. It is an interesting dynamic. I mean, we Amanda and I talk about it a lot. That you know the the lifestyle that we're hopefully affording ourselves and the freedom to do a lot of different things like spend a month in Europe or whatever are are achieved by our jobs a lot and the the freedoms that that allows but then something like school and the kids going somewhere every day and being sort of anchored to a place is one of the last things that ties you sort of permanently or on an ongoing basis I guess to a, a place and not having total freedom to do what you want um, I know we talk about homeschooling our kids. Uh, our daughter will go to kindergarten next year. So we talk about that uh, a, a fair amount, um, not just for the, the freedom, but some of the other sort of social things that are negative in whether it's public or private school. Um, I don't know, but but I think, like you're saying, homeschooling has certainly like n- negative connotations that may or may not be well-founded, um, but definitely do- doesn't afford a lot of the social interaction between the kids um so i don't know it's it's kind of a tough balance and i don't think there's a right answer but both sides certainly seem to have their advantages i think there's just there's so many ways to like raise happy kids and we really enjoyed homeschooling it really worked for us um at a time when my son was really trying to figure out who he was we were all trying to figure out who he was (laughs) and um it provided perfect flexibility we could work at our own pace and i i loved doing it it was really really good and beneficial for our family Uh, we did a lot of traveling when we were um, homeschooling and when he decided that you know he really started to vocalize and was really clear about wanting to go back to school and and we felt like it was important to support that and we ended up finding a charter school that um is also really flexible so Every year that he's been in school, the last two years, we've taken a month off during the school year, basically, um, and gone traveling. And the school has been super supportive of that. So I think, at least for us, it's it's a constant kind of recalibration of what people what people need, what each person in our family needs at a given time. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, I think we'll probably homeschool again at some point. Um, but right now, he he's kind of getting what he needs, and it's working for our family. But I, I 
I have loved the freedom of um, having a, a non-traditional job, of, of Rob having a non-traditional job so that we can go away most weekends and um, have the flexibility to kind of live life the way that we want to. And I, I think increasingly there are great school options that are hybrids of traditional school and homeschool, whether that's some of the online programs that are really great and do allow a lot of interaction with other kids and with a teacher. You know, I, I just think that there'll be increased flexibility as time goes on for, for kids who need different kinds of arrangements and families who want different kinds of things. I, I got a question for you. <clears throat> Sherry, Sherry, was... Um was were, were your parents entrepreneurs? My parents were not. No, no? not not by any stretch. And nope. What about Rob's parents? Nope. See, mine weren't either. And I, I, when Val and I got married, I kind of told her that I was really eager to kind of start my own thing, and she's like, she was cool with that because her dad has owned his business for how many years? Forever since he got out of the oh, army, right? Oh, they've been married forty five years, so for <clears throat> longer than that. And she said, you know. She kind of understood how, you know, that works. And I always kind of in the back of my head was like, yeah, you don't really get that because, you know, maybe your mom might have understood, but I don't, I don't think you understand the, um, the pressures that your mom and dad experienced as he was, you know, going through the growing pains of his business. And I think we're kind of, we're working through that right now where your parents were the kind that they did their arguing behind closed doors. And yeah. Cause I never saw them argue ever, ever. Right? So <clears throat> It was, you probably don't really understand the, the real, like, discussions like you and I have about, are we going to meet our number this month, you know, whatever that number might be that, that your parents had. I wonder how many founders that don't come from entrepreneurial families don't even think about starting a, a business because, um, because they've just never seen it done. It's like a paradigm shift for them. I think that's one of the awesome things about this podcast or startups for the rest of us or a lot of the, the podcasts that are kind of happening now where people are talking more about the inside story of, of how to do this. Because you're even if you're a kid growing up in a family where your parents are entrepreneurs, you're usually not privy to those conversations about finances and balance and those kinds of things. So it's I think it's sort of new for everybody who's doing it. So so Craig and Amanda, when I saw you in Barcelona, you were dreaming about moving to Europe. Is that still the plan in 144 days? Uh, we're going to take a really long vacation. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think we know what it'll end up being. We, yeah. We are, we're the kind of people that everywhere we go, we say, oh, let's move here. And <laughs> so we've, yeah, we've lived in eight states now. So we, we just, uh, I, I don't see us settling down probably anywhere forever, but yeah, if we were able to live over there for a few years, that would be really cool. And who knows what? I don't think we get too far ahead of ourselves. See, honey, uh, Craig took his wife to Paris. So that's another way that he's a better husband than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, so I think when I, talking about the kids a little bit, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things that you have to, that we think we have to balance is, uh, you know, exposing them and allowing them to experience other cultures and languages and places to live while at the same time balancing seeing our families. And having like a home to grow up in, I think both are really important, and you can't do both at the same time. So, um, yeah, I mean, if we can spend a couple of years, I don't think the kids are going to miss out on like their whole childhood. But if we do it at the right time and in the right way, the 
the exposure that they get will probably be invaluable. So yeah, the, the plan I think at some point is definitely to do it. And I think next spring and summer we'll spend as much time as they'll let us legally stay. <laughs> um, yeah, give it a whirl. I like the flexibility too of of being able to be there and decide, sort of see how your kids do, see if they're happy, see if they're stressed. Um, and you can decide at any point to come back or stay longer. And I love that. See if the four of us can live in a two bedroom apartment Yeah, <laughs> and not get kicked out I know, of kinda, the country. We're kind of loud. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of loud. Well, the other option is to get an Airstream trailer and oh, no. set off on a cross country. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, like, I like doors. I I'm hate a big fan being of doors. in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Driving plate, that would, that would be my nightmare. I yeah, I do not like being in a car. I do not like driving places. Yeah, I don't know. That that's camping for a year is is a tall order, I think. It's tough on your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> so I I have something I, I I don't know if it's a question. I guess it's a question. So it's so one of the things that we see as a as a couple and it, it and kind of share together a little bit is is kind of like we're going down this road, making some progress and whatever degree that is isn't really important, I don't think, but you know, then, then like fear and self doubt enter the equation and they kind of come and go as like, you have a little more success and the fear goes away a little bit. And then it comes back when, you know, you, you have a bit of stagnation in your business or in your progress or whatever, you know, Sherry. So like from your experience, both like as in the family and as a professional, what, what are, what are some ways that you see people really deal with that? Well, kind of on a long term basis. That's a good question. Well, and the, and the reason, uh, and the, I guess the, the, the so what of the question is like, what do you do to keep yourself focused on w- doing what you know is the right thing and not just reacting to like a good month or a bad month or a, a comfortable or uncomfortable situation? I guess that's the, that's really, I think what the goal would be, right? As a couple and as a business and as a whole entity. The goal is is really not to let fear overwrite logic. Yeah. And I think people who do that well are able to recognize that they are afraid. Kind of, you know, recognize those symptoms of anxiety, of panic, <laughs> depending on how serious it is. And know, like, okay, something is happening in my brain right now and I'm not... I'm not at full capacity. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm afraid. And it's not the right time to make decisions because it's those reactive decisions that happen in reaction to fear. But once you can sort of realize like, okay, I'm in an anxiety state. I need to calm down. I need to take a break. And I need to slow down my decision-making process so that I can collect more data or make sure that I'm really able to engage my full brain and not not reacting to the things that I'm afraid of. I mean, fear is like, I mean, sort of biochemically like a fascinating process. It activates these parts of our brain that are um, involved with emotion and with, um, well, with fear. And it shuts down our frontal lobe. It shuts down our like capacity for abstract thought and planful decision-making. So, Everybody is scared. I mean, every entrepreneur is scared. Even really successful entrepreneurs, they're always playing up to the next level. And they're, you never kind of escape that fear process. I think you just get better at handling it. 
and you know to simplify it i would say the first thing is to recognize when it's happening and the second is to to slow down and wait and not make decisions when you're feeling that way this uh this year at microconf I'm, I'm trying to remember which which speaker's um presentation it was presented in but i'm looking at my notes here and it said to remember the the halt acronym and never make a decision when you're hungry angry lonely or tired because that just leads to the worst decisions, bad decisions. Yes, I think that's very true. Does that yeah, make that's, sense? No, no, that's that's good advice. I mean, I think we we try to sort of sleep on things, you know, as a couple and and in the business. I try to kind of yeah, if it's a tough decision, really step back and take some time and think about it, write some stuff down, ponder it, flip yeah. it over, kind of. And I think there are a couple of techniques that people can use in trying to slow down that anxiety. And some of it, sometimes it's to ask what's the worst that can happen. I mean, I think, I think people who are founding businesses are really afraid of failure and that's a real fear. But when you think about what's the very worst that can happen, in most cases, the very worst that can happen is, oh, I'm going to go back to that high paying consulting job or, oh, I'm going to go back to working for someone else, which, which is not optimal. It's not what you're after if you're a founder, but it's not usually a threat to your life. It's not usually a threat to the well-being of your family. It's usually like the thing that you're afraid of obviously is not what you want, but it's, but it's usually not that bad either. So I like that question. What's the worst that could happen here? What's the worst case scenario? Making pro and con lists, that can also be helpful. It's a way of getting all of those swirling, anxious thoughts out of your brain and onto paper in front of you. So Craig, like you do, to, to write some notes and sleep on things and sort of get your thoughts down is a great strategy because you're, you're parsing and organizing thoughts. You know, I've, I've been a business owner before and, and I know that the one, the, the double-edged sword of it is that it, you have 100% control theoretically over the business. And, and the beauty of it is you can make those decisions to make it very successful. And then their side is all of the weight is on you as the owner to make it successful. But I think as someone who is still in a corporate job, and I know Ken probably feels the same way, you can do a, a great job and affect the business a lot. And, you know, the company as, as a whole still suck, right? So I think that's kind of like one of the things where like making these big decisions and having, you know, self-doubt and fear and things like that, if you're able to channel them the right way and able to make good decisions and implement them, at least the upside is really there. Whereas for us, like in a corporate job, the upside is almost zero. The carrot is bigger, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The carrot and the weight of the carrot is bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sherry, how do you like uh, podcasting? Not, I, not this, but but your you know, Zen Pounder, the show that you and Rob do for the two people out there that might not have listened to it. I um, I really enjoy it. I I really like Rob, so I like doing things with him, <laughs> and it's <laughs> that's 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 always a plus in a marriage. Um, so it's been fun to have something that we collaborate on. Um. It also really helps me to be part of his world, and I think it allows him to see a little bit of my world, too, as he sees some of the ways that I think about problems and people and things like that. A couple of years ago, well, um, my training as a psychologist is, is as a research psychologist, and I worked in academia for a couple of years and then just 
like really didn't like it. It, re- it really wasn't the right fit for me. And so one of the things that I was most sad about leaving was um, not having a voice in the larger kind of academic community, like not writing as much and not lecturing as much. And so podcasting is actually really satisfying because I feel like I get to be part of the bigger conversation. A lot more people listen to my podcast than ever read my academic papers. (laughs) So that's really satisfying. And of course, I get to talk about things that I think are important, hopefully to help people that I really like and care about. Yeah, I think it's a a very welcome change to a lot of the nuts and bolts stuff that we obsess over a lot and paying good attention to things that are really important. So yeah, I love it. You were talking about... um it's cool to do things with Rob and to um, to kind of get involved. How involved are you in his businesses? In the nuts and bolts, minimally. In the overarching well-being of his life, a lot. <laughs> so um, I don't. I don't see the spreadsheets. I actually have really no idea how much he makes. Um, I you know know the people that he works with and that work for him. But I'm I'm really hand off, I think, especially compared to a lot of other um, sort of bootstrapping couples. I, I've never done the books. I'm just not involved in the day-to-day management of the business at all. But I talk a lot, you know, as husbands and wives do, about the ins and outs of the day, definitely about big decisions. Um, you know, I'm the first or second phone call. Um so we spend a lot of time thinking about the direction that he wants to go and that we want to go as a family. And that sort of filters down to the decisions that get made in the business. Got it. Yeah. I think that's a great question uh, because, you know, at first we were going to do a lot more together. And Amanda is very sort of analytical and was going to do the books, like you said, and and do some of the day-to-day operations. And we, we made a pretty conscious decision, I think, to say – we would like to have time that is away from the business. And if both of us are involved on a regular basis in it, then you can't get away. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you guys probably made the same conscious decision we did to say, let's kind of have things that we do and things that we you know do separately to allow that separation to happen. And I've seen it work well in a couple of different ways. Um, we interviewed Sandy Roberts, who's married to Jason Roberts of the Texting Podcast, and she's super involved, and they really work as a partnership. She brings some tremendous skills to his kind of creative, big, out-of-the-box out thinking, and they're an excellent team, and I think it really works well for them. I think Rob and I have, you know, we sort of enjoy our separateness. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. Like, I have a brain that works differently than a programmer or than an entrepreneur. And so it's been really fun for us to be different and to allow those separatenesses to kind of be healthy and thriving. But certainly the points where we get to converge is also, it's also really fun. So f- for us, it's it's been, we've found this middle ground of, I love going to microconf. I love, you know, I have friends in microconf now. I have, I'm, a, I'm part of the community in, in sort of a fringe way. But I also have my own separate life, and that that feels important and satisfying to me too. So Craig raised the question: Why don't we see more female founders, and you know, especially married female founders, not just the young ones? That's a great question. It's it's a big question. I think um, 
I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I there are some great examples of couples who are founding, who are co-founders. Um, there are some great examples of female founders who are just rock stars and doing well. Um, but it's certainly the exception at this point in the game. And, you know, there's probably dissertations written about this, whether it's societal expectations that cast women in certain roles or encourage certain skill sets in women as they're, as they're developing, you know, from young girls. Um, it, it's definitely still a boy's world, a men's world, but I, I have found it at least to be one that's pretty hospitable to a female presence and a female voice. So I think if there are women who are interested in, in joining the founder community, there's, there are people who are, are happy to be supportive and helpful, but I can't answer your question about why. What do you think? Um, I don't know. It puzzles me because I've been thinking a lot about female entrepreneurs um, in the last couple of years, really. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's right here. I've been thinking about why, um, you know, why there's this huge movement to, um, well, you, you see a lot of articles on Twitter and things like that where people are making a concerted effort to make a big deal whenever there's a female founder that does almost anything right and at first it kind of was off-putting to me like can you know we're all working hard out here not just the ladies and then i i started had i had to step back and really check myself and think you know they are really working at a disadvantage here and it forced me to really think about why there is such kind of a glass ceiling in tech why why you see so few females from you know junior high high school through college that really get into the the tech scene whether it is a, as a as a coder or an engineer or a marketer or as you know there's so many levels you can you can access a startup through why are there so few and um, where was I going with this totally lost my train of thought my wife looked at me and I was gazing oh at please <laughs> you were distracted by her eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and so it came back to me. I was designing the onboarding process for a mastermind jam, and I was—I've been asking a lot of people because I don't ask the question during onboarding um, of gender: Are you male or female? Because in my mind's eye, it doesn't matter when you're in a mastermind group who's in the group. You know, it—it it matters their experience, what they can offer, what they can help you with, what you can help them with. But doesn't matter if you know you're in a, in a mastermind group and you're the only female, and there's three other guys. Um, if you're a Muslim woman, it matters. Would it be more beneficial to be in, a, in, a, in an all-female mastermind if you're a female entrepreneur? Is is there something that can be gained from just being in a group with three other females? I mean, it's a really big question. I've been asking everybody I run into about this. So I'll ask you, Sherry, what do you think? Should I be asking gender during the onboarding for Mastermind Jam? I think you could ask preference. I mean, there's no one answer to those questions like is it better for women to be in an all-female group if someone wants to be in an all-female group yeah maybe it would be better if they feel more comfortable for whatever reason um if you're a woman in a mastermind group with guys and they're you know jerks then that's not going to be helpful so i i i think that's the problem with the conversation is like gender isn't it's one marker, but it's not the most important marker when we talk about how to encourage entrepreneurship in, in individuals. The individual differences are bigger than the group differences. Right. So maybe just asking, would you prefer to be in an all-female group? I don't know. Yeah, I guess, you know, not only asking the question. Why don't you split test that? <laughs> yeah, I will once I get some good traffic going to it. I, I really should. <laughs> 
Um, and, and not to gloss over it because it's a real topic, you know, it, uh, on one hand, yeah, I could just have a checkbox or a pull down that says male or female, right? But then it raises the question, well, what do you do with that information? You should only have it on the form if you're going to use it in some way. And um, I've been making an effort to go through and kind of simplify the process and get rid of questions that I don't use. They're not part of the, the, the algorithm to put people in the group. So why do I ask the question? So that keeps popping into my head. You know, I don't ask race and I've never asked gender. And, and, you know, I see a lot of these stories, people writing long opinions about, you know, how hard it is for minorities to get an attack, how hard it is for females to get an attack and female minorities even more so. So am I propagating some kind of hidden bias and, you know, just me being a male, should I venture there? So I guess I should split test that. Maybe that was a rhetorical yeah. question. So or, or I, do I, I absolutely there? think you should not include it. I, I, and what you said is exactly right. You're propagating a, a hidden or assumed bias by asking it and then stratifying people based on their gender. I, I mean, for me, I would, I want to be in a group with the three other best matches for me. And I don't care if they're purple or green or male or female or straight or gay or American or not. Right. Well, if you're a woman in this industry, you know that you're a minority and you I think you would assume that you're going to be in a group with mainly guys. And as a girl, frankly, I would rather be in a group with guys because there's less cattiness and um, it's just huh, that's interesting. It, girls can be mean. <laughs> I, I would actually feel the opposite. Really? I would feel like I would want to be with just women. No, I totally wouldn't. There's your problem. <laughs> That's exactly. That checking that box, male or female, doesn't actually give you the information you need. No, it doesn't. It doesn't really tell you anything except what biology people have, and that's why, why would you, why it's would a you complicated want to be in a question. With only women. Well, I don't want to be offensive towards you because you're a dude. All right. <laughs> but I, I think women are better at most things than men. <laughs> All right. And I don't disagree. Like what? Uh, well, men are better at moving furniture. <laughs> Got very quiet. Okay, well... <laughs> Keep going. I want to hear the rest of this answer. Okay, so uh, depending on the industry, I guess, women may have to work harder and study harder to get to the same place because of, like, the um, you know, like the wage gap and, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, have had to prove themselves more, in, especially in a male-dominated industry. And there are so many times that a woman has to, when she has to, to leave earlier or, or to put her family first, the eye rolls come and, oh, here we go. She's got, you know, she's a mom. She's got a, you know, they, they have to deal with that so often that I feel like they would, they would put more of themselves out there because they're, they're having to break down these kind of walls all the time. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I mean, we we. I mean, seen... a woman says one thing that is um, maybe a little assertive, and everyone's saying, "Oh, she must be PMSing. She's a bitch." And it's just it's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. So I would say that I would want to be with other women who would say, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna put those things out there because if I'm with three other guys and I don't agree with them, then they might then those three guys might say, "Oh, she's a woman. She's PMSing, or she's whatever." Oh God, I hope not. But I think that I think that for there to be change on you know in any sort of social domain, but change in the way that um, 
in the way that technology looks, it's going to require both men and women. You know, it's going to require the women who are pushing through some of those stereotypes and and boundaries and and making it work for them and for their lives and their way of thinking and their way of being. But it's also going to take men who are supportive and helpful and make space. And so I think that's why Ken, the question is so complicated because it's not just one thing, it's both things. Like we need mastermind groups that are all of those various constellations depending on where people are in their journey and what they need. So that's why asking the gender question doesn't really tell you anything about what group they should be in because you need more questions or you just throw everybody in and they figure themselves out. Well, I've been working very hard to, because so far the process has simply been, I have some magical method that I just shove people into a group. I would love to get to a point and I'm, I'm working hard on that to, to get to a place where once you get into your initial group, I give you tools that you yourself can choose the makeup of your second group. Does that make sense? So if that group is working out for you or not, or say it's been a year in one group and you want to form your next one, or you have a different project that you'd like to get a different you know group of people to give you feedback on, you can form a second group um, maybe on your own and not through some magical black box process that does it for you. And so if I give people the tools to say, yeah, I'm a male or female. Well, first of all, they can see that from profile pictures right away. Right. Um, but then maybe they would self-select themselves into a female group for a certain project versus a mixed group. Um, so anyway, I'm working very hard to get to a point where the software will let the people be more flexible in what they would like in their groups. Cause I think you're right. There is no right answer. There's just whatever personal preference, personal preference will take you. So Sherry, like uh, from again, from your experience working with Rob or as, as you know, the family and, and being around Rob's business, but also like as a professional, like what are some things that that you've seen done really well to avoid some of the tough like conversations like we had at the beginning of the show and like the pitfalls that people have in their businesses on this road that we're taking, right? So I mean, how, how can you avoid some of the really tough things that we might all face? I think one of the, the things that's been most important to our sustainability as a, as a family um, in the midst of the ups and downs of the business that, um, has been to have the hard conversations and have them often and have them regularly. You know, we do like a little Sunday huddle where we talk about what's happening this week, who's busy, who's stressed, who needs what, who's going where, who is really desperately needing a night out with friends. Um, and it, it's a it's a really regular check-in about kind of each of our respective mental health, um, our health as a couple, our health as a family, and then what's going on in our work lives. And I think that having that really open conversation about you know, not just sort of how are you at the end of the day, but a really deep, how are you? What's going on? What do you need? Has been really helpful because the minute that something starts to not be working well, we can pivot pretty easily. And there's an open conversation about kind of the well-being of all of these different components that are important. And I think when people really burn out or don't do well, it's because they're ignoring those internal check-ins, whether it's ignoring their own physical health or mental health or sleep, or it's ignoring their spouse, not paying attention to what's going on with their kids. And nobody likes to think about that happening, but that does happen. We all get to a place where our vision becomes too singular on one thing and, and we just can't focus on everything that's important. So... 
um, the routine of checking in regularly has been really important to us. I think that's our tip for the episode. We need to check in more regularly with our spouses. I, I personally fall into the camp where I skip sleep. I skip exercise. Um, today, in fact, I skipped every meal but one. Because <laughs> I brought it home. Yeah. So it, it's it's a valuable lesson for me to, to remember. I mean, this this phase of it is so hard. The nights and weekends phase is so hard. <laughs> and I just empathize with how it feels. It's so, it sounds so trite to say it, but like it doesn't last forever, both in the sense of having like young, young children who require so much care and in the sense of having young businesses that require so much care. Well, I just don't feel as alone as I did before. Like, you know, I, I don't know any other wives of entrepreneurs anywhere in my, you know, this is like, except my mother. I guess I should talk to my mom more about, I guess she shares with Ken because she comes and babysits when I'm at work. And apparently they've had some interesting conversations. She tells me about all the failed businesses uh, Val's dad is And trying. I don't know any of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, she's like, so let me <laughs> tell you about the time he decided he's going to sell RVs. And I'm like, oh, this Oh, is I do remember that. <laughs> well, I just remember the one RV that we traveled around Lake Michigan in. Well, that was the but. one he couldn't sell. It was one of the ones he couldn't get rid of. <laughs> I know both of you are like professionals at slogging it out and, and getting through it and that there's a lot of success that you've already gained and will continue to earn. But I think your listeners too, like the patience and the diligence and the just time put in is is so hard, but but hopefully it will it will yield a lot of benefit and get you wh- where you want to go. That's what we want to hear. There's there's it's so much work right now. And I I'd really like to impress upon my wife as she's sitting here right next to me that it does get easier, honey. <laughs> and my question is, when? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know when we're there. When? <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was fun to talk with you and your wives. Thank you. It was nice to meet you. Maybe I'll meet you at MicroConf. We'll see. That would be fantastic. See, you should bring her to MicroConf. I have invited her every time the ladies to MicroConf. Can hang out. Well, let's see. The first time Cooper was six weeks old. Yeah, you could brought him. <laughs> Secondhand smoke is really good for babies. <laughs> we'll see. If it works out, I'll be there. Well, it was nice to meet everyone. Likewise. 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 I'll talk to you guys later on. All, All right. right. Take care, guys. Take care. Right. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Nights and Weekends podcast with Craig Hewitt and Ken Wallace. To stay up to date and to learn more on how you can free yourself to be a better family man and make time for yourself, visit www.nightsandweekendspodcast.com. We'll catch you next time.